Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, my name is McKay Rippey, and this is Lime Ninja Radio. I'm here with my producer, Aurora. Hello. And this is our very first podcast. This is podcast number one. And we're going to start off with a very special guest, Heather Peretta. Aurora, will you tell us a little bit about Heather? Heather Peretta is an interpretive naturalist with a Bachelor of Science degree in Environmental and Forest Biology from the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry. She also holds a Master's degree in Information Design and Technology from the State University of New York Institute of Technology. Heather is a New York State Certified Biology teacher and is passionate about building a community where people keenly observe their surroundings and observe how we are all connected to nature. Read about her experiences in nature on the Backyard Naturalist blog at heatherperetta.com. Heather, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that you're here. And uh, I want to jump right in and start to ask you or start by asking you about your project, Backyard Naturalist. Tell me about that. What, what got you interested in your backyard? 2006, I was um, finishing up my master's degree in information design technology, and I had been looking at the computer a lot. I also had my very first um, digital single-lens reflex camera. And, um, you know, sort of my whole life I've been uh, fascinated by the outdoors, and I my, had my bachelor's degree in environmental interpretation. So... Um, I was looking for a way to get myself away from the computer screen and outside doing things. And I thought, well, you know, I see things all the time that are interesting um, just around the house that maybe I could share some information with people. But in 2006, um, really the only mechanism I had for that was a blog and I wasn't very good at advertising. So um, I think that my family followed me and that was about it. Um, Fast forward to this uh, January, I decided that it was time to take my blog sort of public again. Um, I had been writing some things um, on there last spring, which I'll talk more about when we get into some of the other questions. But um, I decided to take it public. And with Facebook, it really sort of came together as a way that I could use the blog to write sort of... um, longer pieces about more in-detailed experiences that that I was having and Facebook to just share photographs. Yeah, Facebook has blown up with your photographs. I mean, they're they're amazing. (laughs) Thank you. So I would say that the snowy owl really kind of ushered me back into um, not just thinking about these things myself, but sharing them with people because I, as soon as I found out that there were um, so many snowy owls in the area last winter. I started going out and checking it out because I felt that it would be a once in a lifetime experience. And um, I dusted off my camera and then eventually I dusted off the blog and created the Facebook page. So, um, and it just keeps going from there. You know, um, these days in the morning when my neighbors drive by to go to work, they find me poking around in the ditch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with a macro lens, taking pictures of interest, things that I find that are interesting that probably everybody else 
um, around here never even has an idea that those things are there. So, so you're, you're that neighbor, huh? Yeah. No, I'm, I am definitely the strange neighbor. I am the person that is out that has one camera over her shoulder, another one in her hand and a pair of binoculars in the other hand. Um, just kind of seeing what is around. That's fantastic. So if fascinated by it, so. folks want to, uh, take a look at your photos if they go to facebook and search for backyard naturalist will they find you yep that's the best way or you can look for me um heather peretta and then you're gonna have to spell peretta because i always spell it wrong okay p-e-r-r-e-t-t-a um and you can send me a friend request and i'm always sharing things on my personal page about backyard naturalists so um you know it kind of goes back and forth very cool. That's fantastic. I love, I love the caterpillar photos that you've had. <laughs> I just took another one the other day, and the thing about this is that even though you know I've, I have the I have the degree, and I've been doing this for a long time, it always amazes me how I can take a picture of something that I see in a ditch, and then it takes me days to come up with the correct identification. And in the end, if I had just looked at the plant that the thing was sitting on, it would have been like, oh, right, that's a cattail caterpillar. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Maybe the CDC could take a few lessons from you about Lyme disease and identification. Well, it seems to me that, you know, it's very basic if it looks like Lyme disease and it acts like Lyme disease, it's probably Lyme disease. <laughs> one one would think. Instead of sending you to a thousand different specialists, um, you know, coming up with a hundred different diagnoses, and then in the end, you're still sick. Right. So, <laughs> so speak, before we move on to, to that, uh, would you mind telling us where you're taking these photos, a general location? Oh, yeah. I live um, about... 10, 15 minutes north of Utica. And uh, most of my photographs are taken within a 20 minute drive from here. Um, That's about as far as I usually venture. Um, And a lot of them are within a five minute drive or a one mile walk of my house. So it's all right in the central New York area. Um, because the whole idea of the backyard naturalist is exploring everyday miracles in nature, not things that um, you have to be anybody special to see. That's so great. So now, where did you pick up Lyme disease? That's a really great question. I have no idea. Um, I have been outside doing this kind of thing forever. Um So really, when people ask me that question, I say it could have been any day of my life (laughs) from early childhood until now. Um, I think the doctor, I've gotten a few different opinions. One doctor thought that I've probably had it for years. Um, Another doctor thought that I probably, um, when she... When she diagnosed me with Lyme disease, she thought that I had had it for about, um, you know, your standard month before uh, she diagnosed it. Um, I think it was a little longer than that. And how long ago were you diagnosed? Yeah, two years yeah. ago. My um, 
I have twins who are now three. They had just turned one. And when they turned one, I thought I, I, at 13 months, I stopped breastfeeding, um, which they were breastfed fed exclusively. So I have to, I always have to give myself a little pat on the back for that one. Yes, you deserve it. <laughs> so, Big pat on the back. So, um, but you can imagine that um, sort of where this, I think where the story begins for me is that I, we had our older daughter who is now five. Um, and so I had her. And I nursed her uh, for 15 months. At 15 months, I found out that I was pregnant with twins. Then I went through twin pregnancy. Um, I nursed them for 13 months. And when I was done with that, uh, I thought, oh, God, thank God I am done. And now I have my body back and I love to exercise. And I'm going to I'm just going to do it. I'm going to hit this hard. I've got all this (laughs) like I had all these things to prove to myself that um, I wasn't ruined by (laughs) all these babies. So I started jogging again and biking and swimming. And um, I did a sprint triathlon that summer after I stopped nursing them. Then I went on, I had signed up for a duathlon that um, got canceled, but I had done it in practice a couple of times. Um, So duathlon is swimming and running? Um, that, that particular duathlon was biking and running. So when I did that training, you know, I was out for a couple of hours exercising nonstop biking and running. Um, and then from there I decided, well, you know, maybe I'll just kick up my running a little bit. I'd like to complete a half marathon. So I ramped up my training and I got to the 13.1. I ran that. Um, I ran a hundred miles a couple months in a row and then I got a very bad cold and that was the end of it. That was right before Thanksgiving. Um, I got a bad cold and, uh, I just never recovered from that at that point because before I got the bad cold, I was not feeling well. Um, a lot of days I would go for a jog in the morning and then about 10 o'clock in the morning, I wouldn't have enough energy to get up and down the stairs. Oh, because by the way you made it sound is like you were full of energy and you're raring to go. And Yeah, I wasn't. I was killing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was killing myself. I was exercising um, and I kept going even though there were a whole bunch of things that were going on that were not right. Um, so I I was really lacking energy. I was dropping things all over the place. Like someone would hand me something, it would just fall out of my hands onto the floor. And my husband said, you know, you really have to think consciously about holding onto things a little bit tighter so that (laughs) you're not dropping, you know, everything that someone hands to you. But that was another symptom. And I was getting my period every 11 days. I would have a few days off and it would just start again. And, you know, I thought between that and um, the night sweats and the hot flashes during the day and the severe mood swings that I had some sort of reproductive tumor or something. Um, I kind of knew that something was really wrong with me and I was afraid to pursue it too far because I thought it was something, I thought it was cancer. So um, So I just kept, I just kept going. (laughs) Did you stay away from the doctor? Um, Yeah, I had not, 
I hadn't really gone to see her or said anything about it until I, uh, before that, during both pregnancies, I had a very itchy rash um, that was all over my body and it went away. But then when I started to have all these other things happen, it came back and it was all over and it was so itchy that I would just dig my skin until it would bleed. Um, I would take a hot shower as hot as I could stand it just to get the histamine to release so that I would have some a little relief, bit huh? of relief so that I could fall asleep at night. But then I would wake up in the middle of the night so itchy again that I got a mentholated lotion that would cool me down to shivering. Um, but at least it would stop it so that I could fall back to sleep again. So that's crazy. What motivated you to finally go to it the was doctor? The it was the rash. The rash finally got you there. You couldn't <laughs> handle the rash. I couldn't take the rash anymore. So tumor, and you could handle the thought of a tumor, night yeah. sweats, all this other stuff, period coming every day. But the rash got you, huh? But the rash got me. I just couldn't, I couldn't take the itching. It was driving me crazy. And when I went to see her, she suggested that, um, because we had been down this road before with the rash, and the first time around, she said, well, you probably um, have some food allergies. And so she tested me, and I was allergic to wheat and soy and Isn't, eggs isn't everybody? And dairy. Yeah, right? <laughs> sounds like everybody these days. Right? Yeah. So she said, you know, don't eat those things and then, um, you know, it'll be better. And it was. So this time I went back and she said, oh, you're probably just eating too many tomatoes. Um, stop eating tomatoes. So I stopped eating tomatoes and the rash just kept raging on. Um and so then at some point I was saying, like, I need to get back in to see her again. I ended up fighting with her nurse on the phone um, because I wanted, like, I wanted blood work. I wanted whatever could be thought of to test me for. I wanted it tested because I just really felt that there was something majorly wrong with me. Um, and... I don't know, for some reason, he was giving me a hard time about the thyroid test. And I thought that was ridiculous because, you know, I had had twins since the last time my thyroid was tested. <laughs> so, that might change things a little. Yeah. So, um, and it's, I mean, although I am kind of a fiery person, it's not like me to scream at someone over the telephone. And when I got done with that, apparently he went and said to the doctor, like, I don't know what's up with this patient, but she was just screaming at me. And my doctor was like, we definitely need to get her in here. Something's not right. So screaming does work. <laughs> I guess so. So, um, and then in the meantime, I had seen you and we had talked about copper toxicity. Yep. So I went to see her and I said, you know, there's a possibility that... I could have copper toxicity. And so she tested me for that. And my blood levels of copper were extraordinarily high. Um, and at the same time, she had the idea that she should test me for Lyme disease, which I'm really grateful for that also because my test came back positive. So um, then it was, and, and, and at that point I thought, oh, well, that was easy. Now um, I have to take this antibiotic for 30 days and I'm going to be set perfectly fine back to myself again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> except except so let me interrupt before we go for there so how long did it take from the first time like this rash was driving you insane till you got the test result oh thank goodness it's lyme disease how long did that process take um two or three months okay 
So some people go on for years. So you actually mowed yeah. it through fairly quickly. Yeah. And no, that was your, it was your they, doctors with that. Dr. Polanski's idea to come yeah, up. Yeah, that was Dr. Polanski's yeah. idea to well, do that. I, and when she she said, gets a gold star. She does because when she said, I'm going to test you for Lyme disease, I thought, well, I didn't get a tick bite. I had no bullseye rash. Well, how would I get Lyme disease? No, you only had a full body rash. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I have, I took pictures of it when it was at its worst. I have it in my folder of things related to my Lyme disease. And it, it was just so awful <laughs> looking. I remember you know, it. It was, it was gross. It was bad. Yeah. It was very bad. So Okay, so 30 days of antibiotics. Do you remember which antibiotic you were on? I took doxycycline first. Doxycycline. Okay, and then what happened? Um, well, the 30 days of doxycycline was no picnic. Um, doxycycline makes me, like it does many people, very, very sick to my stomach. So uh, I would take it in the morning, and I had an hour that I was incapacitated. Like I had to sit very still and breathe in order to not throw up. Um, you mean like focus, meditative breathing? Yes. Yes. I could not like it was that was no picnic. And then toward the end of that, um, whether it was a Herxheimer reaction or just overload from the antibiotic itself. But that's when I started having like really I had had joint pain. Um, severe fatigue and a whole host of like what seemed to me to be hormonal type symptoms. But um, toward the end of the first round of doxycycline, or maybe it was in the middle, I had taken uh, our daughter to a program at SUNY IT that had to do with puppets. And while I was there, I felt like I was floating above the scene, like, so, you know, when they do that in movies, like the person has died and they're kind of floating above watching what goes on. That's how I felt while I was there. Like I was watching everything go on, but I was not at all a part of it. Was that scary? It was very scary. And that was my first experience with some pretty severe neurological issues. Um, and I was very lucky to have gotten us home that day. Because I, you know. It's hard to drive if you're floating above the car. Yeah, I was not functioning. Wow. Right. And I didn't know what in the world was going on. I unfortunately became very familiar with that sensation. Um, you, You know, more antibiotics, different antibiotics. Some of the reactions that I had to, to whether it was the drugs or the die off. Um, were very severe. And you could tell that like my, my brain was really taking a toll. Um, There were times when I could not, not only could I not think of the next word that I was going to say, which was generally something common, but I also couldn't understand what a person was saying to me. And when I tried to say just, you know, a couple word responses would stutter and it was like I was completely removed from my life. So what did your family think about all this? Um, it was pretty hard. I think it was it's it was very hard for them. Uh, thankfully, I have the kind of family that doesn't think that you're like that or that I'm making things up. <laughs> That's good because you you're know? like you're super articulate and you know quick witted and yeah. never at a loss for words. I can't imagine right. you. Well, and my husband says that he can tell. 
Like he can just tell because generally I am doing something. <laughs> I'm talking, I'm reading, I'm, I'm always doing something. And when I am not feeling well, um, I have to remove myself. And a lot of times I just sit, um, I'll watch some really like silly kind of thing on the iPad or something, but something that a child could understand because I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand a lot of things. Um, I certainly can't read. I can't do any of the things that I would normally do when that's happening. And he said, it's very apparent. Um, yeah. So, so I think it was very hard for him to see someone who is generally like high functioning individual um, to not be able to do very basic things like speak. Um, it was really difficult for my parents. Um, thankfully they live nearby and, um, were very helpful. They spent a lot of time taking care of the kids because I just could not. And how about the children? How did they react to you? Um, you know, they, I think that the, our older daughter certainly understood more of what was going on and was more disappointed that I couldn't do the things um, that she wanted to do. Um, but thankfully, they were so young that they don't even really remember it. The even twins. If, yeah, the twins. Yeah. They, don't, they don't remember any of that really at all. And the only times that I think that, she, that, the, that the older one does is that sometimes she gets nervous if I say that I'm tired and I need to go upstairs and lay down. Hmm. Makes because total I think sense. Thinks that like, oh gosh, you know, maybe this, you know, maybe mommy's really sick again, and that's scary for her. Yeah, understandably. So, what started to turn this around? Because your symptoms at this point are pretty severe. You're exhausted. The antibiotics make you sick. You yeah. can only watch reruns of Barney. I mean, your right. life is pretty. Yeah. Pretty... Um. It actually that went on for the six months that I took antibiotics. Um, I didn't really. So in looking back, do you think it was a Herx? Do you think it was toxicity from a Herx or what do you think it was? Um, I think it was a combination of toxicity from a Herx and the actual antibiotics themselves. Okay. I think it was both things. I think that my body does not detoxify well and that that was like supreme overload. It just could not handle it couldn't handle the drugs, and it couldn't handle the die-off. Um, have, have you I, had the genetic testing done to check your methylation pathways? I have, and it was not. It didn't find anything conclusive about that as okay. far as, um, yeah, and my insurance company won't pay for it. <laughs> of, of course. Why would they do that? <laughs> it's not within the standard of care, according to the letter. Um, it took them a long time to figure that one out, but they just sent me a letter recently saying that they wouldn't pay for it. <laughs> so yeah, um, you, you probably have a whole series of those posted on oh, the wall, right? Yeah, no, I have a whole bunch of bills and, and by the way, I got off really easy. Like my bills are not anything compared to what some people have to pay. So, um, yeah, there's some, I've come across, there's some great organizations out there who are doing fundraising and That's giving good. grants to children and things like that. So That's good. It has to be that way because right now, honestly, if you have enough money, you can pay to get better. And if you don't have enough money, then you have to just take what you can get. 
and that's kind of hard um, to do sometimes. Yeah. So um, it, it's a big issue for sure. Yeah. So, but, so for me, I took. I I want to go back to the antibiotics okay, for just a okay. second because I just wanted I wanted to sort of spell out what the six months was comprised of. Um, I had one month of doxycycline followed by another month of doxycycline. Then I started seeing uh, a Lyme specialist down in Mount Kisco. Which uh, one? Do you mind saying? Dr. Cameron. Yep, of course. Um, and he is current. He at some point he was the president of ILADS, and now he is the current president of ILADS again. And his um, philosophy is just straight antibiotic therapy. Yeah, let me interrupt. Just I got to see him present uh, at St. Joseph's in Syracuse. He did a ground rounds. Uh, a grand rounds. And that, the good news is the room was packed with uh, medical residents there. So that was heartening to see that these young doctors are interested in Lyme disease. Uh, but Dr. Cameron is absolutely all about antibiotics. Yeah. he um, And I think it's just because for him, it is an easy way to study whether or not treatments are successful because you're not throwing everything at something um, you're just throwing antibiotics at it, and then you can see what works and what doesn't. Um, yeah, exactly. The, and the I, side I, of that coin, however, is that some people like myself don't really react very well to strong antibiotics. Right, and I don't mean to disparage his work at all. He's done amazing work, and antibiotics for a lot of people is, is all they need. That's all that I needed. Right. So. Well, and... You know, honestly, I think that I had to do what I did. I don't think that he was at all wrong in his course of treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I had to do what I did. But I also think that for me, it was really important at that six-month point to say, look, now it's time to change gears a little bit. Because um, I think there's a spot where if you continue to take the antibiotics, you actually start to weaken your immune system to the point where it's really much more difficult to recover. Um, and I don't have any proof of that. That's just what I tell myself. <laughs> so, so what did you change? Um, so at the six-month point, I said I called their office and I said, you guys have been great, but I'm not coming to my next appointment and I'll let you know when I'm ready to start again. And I talked to Dr. Perlansky, and I said, you know, I've been taking all of these antibiotics. For so let me just interrupt there for a second. Yeah. Dr. Perlansky is uh, a local physician who is a bit open-minded. Her training's in Canada. She's doctor, done Dr. Weil's course um, out in Colorado. So she's willing to think a little bit outside the box. Yeah, and she um, she was very understanding and not only does is she willing to think outside the box but she is willing to under to, to get down on the personal level with you and understand that this is really hard let me be totally in, uh, politically incorrect here and do you think that's because she's a woman no <laughs> you think that's just her <laughs> i think I think it's I think it's her in with this particular thing. You mean Lyme disease? Lyme disease. I think that she understands how devastating Lyme disease can be. Because I mean we see her she's our family doctor so we see her for everything. And um you know when my husband had had some um 
insulin resistance issues and some markers for prediabetes. She didn't, she took off the kid gloves with him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it had anything to do with her being sort of nurturing as a woman um, because she's certainly willing to say it straight. But I have found her to be very compassionate with me um, and the Lyme disease because I think she understands that it's not an easy thing. So you may be the only person that I've ever met who's gone from a Lyme specialist hundreds of miles away back to their local doctor. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, I just, I mean, I just knew I had hit because, so like I was saying, I did the doxycycline, then I had amoxicillin. That one wasn't terrible, but it wasn't fantastic. I mean, I still, after these, each month I would still fill out the form that would and I had tons of symptoms still. So then we started Flagyl, and Flagyl was pretty rough. Um, but then the Flagyl with Azithromax, that combination just about did me in. Um, with the Flagyl, my neurological symptoms sort of skyrocketed. With Azithromax, I had diarrhea for two months every single day. And... Um, I just, and I was taking massive amounts of probiotics every, you know, two hours after and all of this stuff, and it wasn't making any difference. And every time I went to the bathroom, I felt like I was, my, like the essence of me was getting flushed down the toilet. Like I was getting physically weaker every time I went to the bathroom. And I just decided that I could not, if I were going to have to continue that, that I probably wasn't going to be able to recover. And I didn't know if I was going to survive it because I just felt like my being was being drained out. So um, that's when I decided that it was time to stop. And so I went, I went to see her and I said, you know, what do you think? And she said, I think that you've been on antibiotics for six months in some cases, things have improved. In other cases, it hasn't. This is a really long road. I'm here for you. Um, if you think that it's time to stop, then let's see how it goes. And so that's what I did. On um, June 1st of last year, I stopped the antibiotics. That I didn't take any that day. Um, and I've been seeing how it goes every day since then and haven't taken any more. Um, after that, I had a few scares here or there. I went to the emergency room one time because I was having heart palpitations. Um, but it seems to me that each time this stuff comes up, I can kind of ride it through and it it goes away. (laughs) So you mean the symptoms, the symptoms like, so you're doing right now, you're doing nothing else, nothing at all. Well, I, I have an herbal antibiotic formula, um, from Woodland Essence that is one we had experimented because from from day one when I was taking the pharmaceutical antibiotics, I was also taking herbs. Okay. And so over the course of this time, the last um, you know year and a half, two years, I have experimented and I found a formula that I um, that really works for me. It may it, I have switched on and off, and I come back to this one because it feels right. It's um, echinacea, Biden's Oregon grapefruit. And um, calendula. What was the second herb? I didn't hear that. Bidens. Spell that. B i d e n s. That's a new one on me. Um, from 
I, from what I believe with this formula, um, and I'd have to look it up to tell you exactly, but the one Oregon grapefruit is the antibiotic herb. The other three are support herbs, mm-hmm. you know, just for generally, um, helping your immune system. And I take it every day and I take extra echinacea for whatever reason. It just feels right. I do what feels right to me. And it feels right for me to have the extra echinacea. Like if it feels like that's what kind of keeps me where I need to be. Um, I take vitamin D3. Occasionally I take some fish oil (laughs) when I have it. Um, Magnesium. I take magnesium every day. Sometimes I take zinc because that was important in getting rid of the copper toxicity. And so sometimes I take that. Amazing. So basically... I take some supplements. And I, I mean, I, I take... Uh, also, I take teasel tincture. Three and, drops. And you take that every day yep. as well? Yeah. I like to take the stuff that... I like to take the liquids more than I like to take the... Um, anything in a pill form. Sometimes my stomach's a little bit off and I just don't like to have to put anything in there that isn't easily digested. So. Yeah, that's so important, isn't it? Yeah. But, and also, um, Kate from Woodland Essence recently made me a blood building tonic. Um, I can't tell you what's in it this second because I don't remember, but it's very delicious. And I think that that's been helping. Um, I recently decided to start lifting weights again. So about two months ago, I started lifting weights two to three times a week and I'm feeling really strong and really good. That's great. Um, One of the things that I read in many, many different places for recovering from Lyme disease is that weightlifting is really important because it gets blood flow and oxygen to your muscles. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta get where the bacteria is. So, um, for a lot of reasons, the weightlifting is really good, but up until recently, I couldn't do it because my hands would hurt too bad. Um, but now I, I do free weights and, um, I'm lifting, you know, fairly good amount of weight and my hands are not hurting me. So I think I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. That's amazing. That's an incredible story. So really it sounds like now the, uh, approach is somewhat still to go after some of the bacteria, but really to rebuild and recover. Yeah. Well, recovering from Lyme disease is like climbing a mountain on your hands and knees. You just keep like little, you don't make a lot of progress. It's not like, you know, sprinting or something, but you just keep going. And I think that you have to keep doing the things that make you feel good and not do the things that make you not feel good. I think one of my biggest challenges still is that um, I get irritated about the fact that my immune system is flaky and that I have food allergies. Um, And so sometimes I kind of go off the wagon and say, oh, you know, forget this. I'm going to eat whatever I feel like it. And then I really pay the price. So, um, you know, I, I think that that can be really a difficult piece for people because, you know, not only are you feeling like crab, but 
if you had any inkling to eat something to make yourself feel better, you have to kind of give that up. <laughs> and so that can be pretty, um, it can be pretty hard when everybody around you is enjoying an ice cream cone and there's nothing about an ice cream or a cone that you can eat. Some form of torture, I think that yeah. is. Yeah, well, it's just like one of those things where it's it's some psychologist would probably tell me that it's very wrong to you know, think about food in that way as like a comforting sort of nostalgic thing. But a lot of the things that, um, you know, you associate with holidays or with summertime or whatever is the food that you eat. And so um, sometimes that can be a challenge. You know, I've talked to, since I've had Lyme disease and I've been kind of, um, yeah, I'm not the kind of person that just sits back and hides what's going on with me. So most everybody knows what I've been dealing with. And um, I've had a lot of people contact me and ask me questions about it. Um, And when I say, you know, one of the big things is really being careful with your diet. I would say that's the one piece that people do not want to hear. Like (laughs) they, they would rather take all kinds of things than have somebody tell them, that they have to give up whatever it is their thing that they love. Right. Give so. me a pill. Give me a drug. Give me an herb. Give me a vitamin. But don't tell me to give up my donut or whatever my donut, it is. My morning donut. Yeah. Morning bagel. Right. Whole grain. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let me. Let me. It's been great. Thank you so much uh, for your time. And I want to end with a, a question. I'm going to ask all my guests, and that is so. St- you had a great analogy of climbing up the mountain on your hands and knees. So being however high up at the mountain you are now, and, and if you know, you saw some people way down at the bottom below you and you could get a message to them, what would your three top strategies for dealing with Lyme disease? So number one is find an excellent doctor who knows what they're doing. Number two is to be courageous because there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and it's going to be really scary. Number three is you have to be open-minded because it might not look like you thought it was going to look, but it's still good. Everything about it is good. I consider myself to be healed. Do I still have symptoms? Yes. Do I still have to be careful? Yes. But I am healed. I stopped reading about Lyme disease and about being sick and trying to associate everything that was going on in my life to Lyme disease. Because I didn't want to be focused on it anymore. I wanted to take that power away from it. You've moved on. You still have Lyme disease, maybe. Maybe. And and you're back to living your life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think many experts would agree that it's almost impossible to get rid of this bacteria. But you know what it is, is that there's a, if you think about a human being or any kind of being, there's a collection of energy that is that person. And there were times in my illness where the collection of energy was dispersed by this other being. And now there might be little tiny bits of Borrelia bacteria in my body, but my being is strong, shining brightly. Everything about me is me. Even that is me. Like it's part of me and okay, you can, you can live with me. I struck a deal, right? You can live here. I don't care. You can stay. I've got tons of other bacteria and virus and fungus and everything in my body. So you can be part of this ecosystem. 
Um, but you're not in control. I am. Terrific. Thank you so much, Heather. You're welcome. Thank you. And so one last time, Backyard Naturalist on Facebook. And I also have, um, if you go to heatherperetta.com, um, that'll take you to the Backyard Naturalist blog, which I don't write as much on there as I would like to, but it is there. And that's P-E-R-R-E-T-T-A. Yes. And Heather liked the plant. Yes. Heatherperetta.com. <laughs> I really liked Heather's metaphor for uh, getting healthy after a bout with Lyme disease, that it's really like climbing a mountain on your hands and knees. It's really apropos. That's so true. The struggle that so many Lyme patients have uh, really is like climbing up a mountain, clawing your way up that mountain. And it takes that sort of diligence. I think Heather really showed us that. So that's it for today. Uh, please find us on Facebook and like us. And Aurora, f- for show notes, where do people go? We go to LimeNinjaRadio.com, show notes at LimeNinjaRadio.com. And if you have any questions, comments, any feedback, please get back to us. And you can go to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com and We would love to hear from you. Please, please, please send feedback. We need it to get better and to find out what you want to hear about. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.